studio with Christine Bentley, and you are listening to what she said right here on 105.9 The Region. Have you been watching The Umbrella Academy on Netflix? No, I haven't got there yet. It's a tale of childhood trauma based on a comic book series and tracks an ensemble of adopted misfits. After the death of their foster father, the siblings, who have been estranged since they were teenagers, are forced to reunite 17 years later to ward off an incoming apocalypse. Our Mm. film critic, Ann Brody, sat down with a few of the misfits And let me tell you, they are a riot. You will want to stay tuned for that. We'll also be talking to Rebecca Higgins. Now, she's a mental health educator who is using short stories and mental health workshops to tackle loneliness. And she has just written her first book called The Colors of Birds, which she's going to tell us all about. Mm -hmm. Now, the registered retirement savings plan contribution deadline is coming up. It's March 1st. And if you're like many other Canadians, you may be stressing out a little. Personal finance expert Barry Troy will be here to explain why you don't need to panic. Hmm. At some point in our lives, this has already happened to Kate and myself, Mm -hmm. there is a high likelihood that each one of us will provide care to someone we know. Family members are typically the first to step up to provide and manage this care. Corporate executive turned caregiver Sonia K. Singh has written a book called Lightning Strikes Twice, chronicling her journey. And it's an interesting Mm -hmm. one and something many people will be able to relate to. Absolutely. Now, we're also going to have a chat with the creator of a 12-part online series called Remembering Human. It explores topics such as loneliness, disconnection, and the cause, concept, and impacts of judgment. And we also have a programming note for you. This is our last Sunday show for now. Starting next weekend, we'll be here on 105.9 The Region, Saturdays at noon. So stay tuned and be sure to check out whatshesaidtalk.com where you can find more interviews, blogs, contests, and so much more. Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. To contact the show, go to whatshesaidtalk.com. Meridian's three-year escalator GIC can help you save for a bucket list trip. In the first year, earn 2% interest. In the second, 3%. In the third, 4%. Those escalating savings could be the difference between this trip... And this trip. Visit a branch or meridiancu.ca today to get started. Meridian, saving for a better life while living your best life. That's wealth esteem. Terms and conditions apply. This is 105.9 The Region. Now back to What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler. Well, joining us now is Callista Zacharias. She's a thought-shaping catalyst and activator who hosts a new 12-part online series called Remembering Human that explores individual liberation and the betterment of humanity as a whole. Welcome to What She Said. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Callista, that's a mouthful. Yes. (laughs) First of all, what is a thought-shaping catalyst and activator? Well, I find that often in society, we have been trained, it's almost like a programming that we have where we're always taught to 
rely on a source outside of ourselves for solutions, whether it be with policy, people, emotions, how we govern ourselves and our lives. So much of our power, we surrender to external forces. If only my husband would do X, Y, and Z, my life would be this A, B, and C. We've become very reliant on, as a society, on looking for answers outside of ourselves. And the basis of my philosophy is rooted in the knowing that as human beings, we have everything we need already within us. And so what I try to do with the show is just help people remember that. So it's almost like an activation as opposed to teaching them something or saying, I'm going to go out there and fix you. I'm telling you that you're not broken at all. And you've got all the answers that you already need. I'm just going to help you remember it. How did you come to this? You, you said you, you something changed four years ago. I did. Um, I actually had a very interesting childhood. Um, I grew up homeless on and off the streets, and I was in and out of foster care a lot. And um, where what? in Toronto? In Toronto. Mm-hmm. Okay. In Toronto. I was. I'm, I'm Canadian originally, so um, I was very, very unwell mentally. Like I was very sad. I went through a lot of depression, and by the time I was 15, I was chronically suicidal. Um, and it was a very difficult childhood that I had to work through. And I did all the seminars and the self-help books. I went to therapy. I tried the pharmaceuticals. And I found that all the oftentimes it either just numbed the pain or temporarily made me feel better in that moment. And throughout this whole process, I realized that I was I kept looking for answers outside of myself. And, um, you know, the more I started meditation and the more I started um, doing different spiritual silent retreats and going within myself, there was a knowing that I started tapping into. And in, in that knowing that I've been able to get better, and I do believe that every human being has this knowing, I think we're all so wise and so beautifully full of life experiences and, you know, the teachings from our parents and our ancestors and in history and culture, that there's so much that's already within us that we can tap into. Um, I'm sure that you're having gone through this you're not suggesting that people who are in serious trouble shouldn't maybe go to a therapist and and at least start the journey that way absolutely not in fact there's a lot of um, amazing thought leaders out there Mm -hmm. and self-help gurus and uh, therapists I do believe that all these people can help us can guide us in gaining the information we need or the insight we need into a situation but to actually turn that around that has to come from within there's nothing externally out there that the world can give us that we can utilize unless we make the decision to do that ourselves. And that switch is within us. It's not anywhere else. So the mission of the series then is to take viewers on a journey of spark seeing truth to reconnect their minds, body and soul into what they intuitively yearn for, what they think they need. So let, let's talk a little bit about some of the topics that you cover, um, like remembrance for personal healing. What's that? Well, it's interesting because in the spiritual world, we've been talking about remembrance for a long time, but I find that science is really catching up to that. Like there's a lot of scientific even advancements in epigenetics that's now showing that there's certain markers that come down for four generations and some for up to 14 generations um, where, you know, Holocaust survivors actually remember the trauma that their ancestors went through. There's some incredible studies out there. But what all these studies are lending to is letting you know that the trauma or the, the sometimes the 
emotions that we go through, whether it be depression or loneliness or sadness or fear, some of these things are not necessarily just from our lifetime and some of these things could be passed down through to us. How do you heal what you don't know and can't see? Um, so in terms of this whole journey, what I ask people to do is really go within and to sit with everything that comes up as opposed to looking for a way to feel better in that moment, allow it to come up and really feel it and sit with it because it's in that that the wisdom is actually in there. We seem to have an epidemic of loneliness and and people feeling disconnected these days. How does that play into into what you're doing? Well, I find that I I use this word a lot. I call it alignment. I think that when you are... um, when you are in alignment, you feel very connected to the world and people around you. Mm-hmm. I find that sometimes we all go through trauma at varying degrees, depending on your walk of life. But oftentimes when we experience trauma, and I define trauma as anything that changes the way you react and respond to the world around you. When we go through these trauma, that creates an imprint and we on, on our minds and bodies and we decide to turn inwards. Instead of staying open with people, allowing that surrender, allowing ourselves to be vulnerable, communicating this is where I am. I need the support. We turn into ourselves and we figure we, we, some part of our brain says, I got this. I'm going to take care of this. I'll come back and I'll show the world. And we actually find a way to kind of create these walls and barriers around us. And we come back and face the world with this mask. I, I'm not hurting. I'm fine. I'm okay. Uh, I've got everything under control. And we put on all these masks and that's where really our disconnection forms. I think we stop relying on each other because we've stopped kind of almost believing in each other that there are people that care and we we are really connected. Um, you also discuss the cause, concept, and impacts of judgment. Yes. Uh, explain that. For a long time, I was the number one person that was really guilty of this. Um, it was a lot of judgment, even towards my own husband. I would be like, you know, uh, why do you think this of me? Or why are you saying that? Or you should be like this. So I was, there was always, um, I, I create that, that also creates disconnection, judgment, because I was always reliant on someone else to make me feel better. It was this person's fault. This is what was happening in my life that was creating the situation. But I realized that how at their mercy I was to feel better. They had to change their behavior in order for them to do something that made sense to my mind, and then that would make me feel better. It was a game changer in my life when I realized that, you know, it really has, it's really none of their none of my business what someone thinks of me and I can't be reliant on what my husband says to to feel good I just have to or whether it be my husband or whoever society media I just have to have a knowing that I'm okay and and stand tall with who I am whatever that may look like good bad or ugly and and that made me feel a lot better <laughs> well the series has it already has more than half a million views it has it so has people are watching what are you hoping they're taking away from it I hope they're taking away that you're perfectly enough. Um, there are lots of people in this world that are walking the same path as you. You're really not alone. And you can reach out to the world for all the support that you need. But ultimately, you are the resource to your happiness. And uh, that really has to come with everyday simple choices. I don't, I don't think we can overthink this. I think it's... Um, it's something that can be very overwhelming to people. So just remember that just focus on your every next decision. So e- each episode has a mm. weekly call to action. 
Yeah. yeah. So but, give us one yeah. for no. today. <laughs> um, if I was to give you a call to action today, it's that whatever you want, there's nothing that you can gain from this world that you don't have within you, whether it be love, that career you want, happiness, create that within yourself and you'll attract it because all we are is energy and everything you emit, you attract. So put out some great stuff. Just love one another. Try to stay as open as you can. Keep it real. And that's exactly what you're going to get back. Where do people go to watch? How do they watch? Well, right now I'm exclusively on Facebook. We will be on YouTube and in a podcast very soon. But we're on Callista Becoming. It's all my social handles on uh, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook are at Callista Becoming. And that's where you'll find the show on Facebook. So it's 12 episodes? It is. It's a 12-part series. 12-part series. And are you going to add to that? We are Coming? planning already a season two. Oh, Excellent. Season two. Very, uh, and it's a very, very thought provoking. Um, okay, so Callista Becoming, the series is called Remembering Human. And Callista, K A L I S T A. Yes, and Becoming. Because yeah, I'm always Becoming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never ever going to be there. <laughs> and season two would be? Season two is just in development right now. So we don't have a release date as of yet, but we're just planning it out and doing all the scripting. Awesome. Good. Well, Callista Zacharias, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a real honor. What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. Still being picked on for being picky? Perfect. Meridian's good-to-grow high-interest savings account was made for you. At Meridian, we say be picky. Order that half-calf, half-sweet, no-foam latte with whip. Try on your whole closet until your outfit is outstanding. And accept nothing less than 3% interest for four months when you open your first good-to-grow high-interest savings account. Meridian, expecting more for your money. That's wealth esteem. Terms and conditions apply. This is 105.9 The Region. Now back to What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler. A dysfunctional family of superheroes comes together to solve the mystery of their father's death, the threat of the apocalypse, and more in the Umbrella Academy on Netflix now. Our film critic Ann Brody sat down with stars Cameron Britton, David Castaneda, and Robert Sheehan to talk about making the series, and they had a good laugh along the way. Take a listen. Get up. We're going. Where? Save the world. Oh, is that all? Too bad you guys aren't very cheerful. <laughs> I know. We're a real downbeat. It's a hard job. Yeah, tough job, Sitting right? in a room and Starring in an excellent series. Honest to God, it's so good. Oh, thank, thank you. you. I have sort of a funny relationship with sci-fi. Sometimes it's too complicated for me, and there's too mm. much of a mythology that you need to know and learn. Yeah. But this, it's yeah. great. It's oh, easy. Really? It's fun. Yeah. But it's there, and you do have to work at it. Well, if you could just say all that to the camera, we'd be... <laughs> I think that's the job done, David, really. Yeah. yeah, we're done. Yeah, that's a job. But it seems to me there was quite a bit of uh, secrecy around the shooting of it. For good reason. I can certainly understand why. Mm. Uh, you know, it's just being at the Massey Mansion and everything. But were you aware of it being sort of under cloak of night kind of thing? Well, I suppose on a practical day-to-day, -day, they're like, if you're going out anywhere public, put on your big coat... Yeah. to conceal your costume, you know, because 
you might get harangued by someone in the street asking for a photograph and then suddenly your Klaus look right. might be on Instagram or it's something. Out. So they just were trying to, uh, you know, safeguard against that type of stuff. But apart from that, it was pretty mellow, I, you know. Yeah, I think most of us yeah. have a bunch of, you know, a whole slew of pictures on our phones we can't wait to be able to release. To We've just been hanging on to. So you can't really talk about it, I mean, no. until now. Yeah. These, these pictures, they're going to shake up the internet, I'm telling you. Oh, I cannot wait for Cameron that. Cameron Britton, whipped cream, yeah. Yeah, and um, a lot of naps. Yeah, mm-hmm. and mouse traps. And lots underwear of... up in Muskoka, running yeah. around the woods. Lots of naps. Yeah. It's all going to be and good. Underpants. Yeah. Very illuminating. <laughs> <laughs> it was beautiful. It was like watching a, a herd of stampeding wildebeest in the... In the in the African savannah, just <laughs> just seeing Cameron just jogging in slow motion over a, over a meadow, <laughs> over a ravine. Okay, Good Cameron, morning. your character, <laughs> you're, you're hooked up with Mary J. Blige, the cop, mm-hmm. and she's quite the alpha female, right? She is an alpha mm-hmm. female. Yeah. So you've got to stand up to her. So how do you do it? <laughs> well, what's fun about the character is, is you know, while Cha-Cha is, is bringing her A-game every time, all the time, Hazel's just dragging his feet. So I could just sort of mope around and complain with each scene. You know, what's my motivation? Nothing. I don't want to be here. You know, now we got to kill people today. Fine, if you insist. Because you know? that's us, right? <laughs> exactly. That's the real us. That was sort of the comedy of it. You know, you couldn't play the comedy. You, you had to let the situation be funny that someone would yeah. be traveling through time assassinating people in, in bored at the same yeah. time and totally disenfranchised with his own. And he's got carpal tunnel from shooting. <laughs> <laughs> Carrying heavy suitcases and stuff. Yeah. That was a fun element to the character that yeah. one of the writers thought, oh, you should have carpal tunnel. He said he got it from writing on a whiteboard so much that, that he got that was his inspiration. <laughs> the police whiteboard. Yeah. And I kept the brace. I keep it on, uh, keep it on my bookshelf. That's one of wow. The funny, that's one of the did, what moments. did you guys yeah. keep? You Anything? It, like, yeah. I, t- I kept um, <laughs> a piece of jewelry, which I don't want to say what it is, because that might give something away. Oh. And what did you keep? Oh, man. The only thing I brought back was just my pants. They're really tight now. Underpants or pants, pants? Look at these bad boys. Huh? Oh. can barely breathe in them. I stole a few pairs Memories. of socks from costume. Were they good socks? Yeah. Yeah, there Much better than my own. I'm like, oh, I'm having them. Yeah. They're movie socks. Especially like in the last, you're coming up to the last couple of weeks of filming, you're like, socks, yes. Yeah. Underpants. <laughs> They're not going to ask for these back. Yeah. Not in the last stretch. No. So tell Especially me, do they give you them. special underwear so you can get into the character? Well, you, you know, for when we first meet Klaus, he's wearing these ridiculous leather pants yeah. that have a sort of a... Um, a kind of a lacing all the way right. outside, which goes, you know, right up to my the naked side of my bum bum. So we had to have <laughs> underpants that weren't like, you know, sort oh, of very there. obviously right. seen. So you know. thongs. So I was wearing, yeah, basically flesh-coloured sort of budgie smugglers. That's what. Uh, that's <laughs> what, what did you say? Budgie smugglers. You know what I mean? We smuggle oh. the budgie. North Americans are so boring. Yeah. I wish we had fun words like yeah. budgie smugglers. We can take that North America. <laughs> Run with it. Let's steal oh, a little God. from, yeah. from that is great. cultures who have had, had more right. time to come up with creative So you guys, you guys are a lot of fun. Calm <laughs> as the monocle. Not so much fun. Yeah. I know. He's a very serious guy. Did he, did he stay in character on the set? 
No, he no. Just certainly did not. Good. No. no. He Good. Was a prick. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was just. Oh, no, Colm is just. He's just an anecdote machine, man. I know, yeah. right? I love Colm so much. Yeah. I went out and stayed in his house for a couple. Oh, of it's nights. Stratford. Yeah, Good yeah. Good for yeah. you. I went and saw two of his wife's musicals, <gasps> Donna, wow. which were amazing. In fairness, like I mean, I've been seeing. Been seeing, so I'm not a huge musical person. I've seen a few as of late in London, I was telling you about. But Donna's were way better in Stratford. Seriously, way higher quality. Honestly. And really? I live in London. Go Donna. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. you live in London, so that's high praise indeed. Indeed, yeah. Yes. And, uh, so tell me about working in this house, in the Massey Mansion. Because on film, wow, it's stunning. It's I've never seen anything like it. You're... You're in this mansion, and you, you could spend 15 minutes walking around and examining everything. And then you step outside, and you, you remember you're not in a real mansion, and that it is, what's it, you know, 120th the size of the building it's actually in. This warehouse is yeah. enormous. We have everybody's apartment fits in this warehouse. Any set you go Holy back Academy. to. Mm. Uh, but... I don't know how they whip that up that quickly. I mean, the staircase itself, you know, I've done so much rickety theater and 50-seat theater, and, you know, right. we're, we're walking on the staircase, you know, oh, don't step on that side, you know? It, uh, it was wild. Smash the set. Some kids came to set, and, you know, you could turn them loose, and they, there's, there's even stuff. I, I hope we do some behind the scenes of all the stuffed animals on there. There's a giant oh. uh, anteater. Oh, even it was a yeah, huge there's a bunch park, of yeah. beautiful owls and things oh, like owls. that. Yeah. yeah, I mean the, the stuff stuff is it's never not creepy. Yeah, but uh, right. especially when it's frozen and it's most ferocious. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. And it helps with uh, for all with the performance. You know, if you're ever feeling you know I need to stay quirky, you can look around and realize you know, stay yeah. quirky. Weird this this mansion is. You know, the aardvark was definitely my favorite. Yeah, he was a good guy. Bonkers. They look like a they look like a hoax, don't they? Yeah, you they know, do. They, they do. do. The first time uh, the first time that <laughs> zoologists like back in the UK saw a giraffe, they thought it was a hoax. Oh wow! They called it a camel apart because they thought someone had stitched a camel and a leopard, oh, wow. or sort of spliced a camel and a leopard. Together. I heard the same from you know, Bill Platypus. They've got oh, books yeah. on this. On all the, the faked up animals. Really? I saw it years ago. Anyway, yeah. But anything. Probably interesting, yeah, over the years. It, like. It's the environment that they've created that, is, that, it, that suits us so well as, as viewers that adds to your, I'm sure it adds to your creativity or sense about who your character is. Mm. And the, you know, the, the house was all, the academy was always um, supposed to feel like warm and inviting, but chilly in terms of Reginald Hargreaves but the house itself was was supposed to have this kind of lovely familial warmth to it you know to kind of contrast yeah. the, the, the sort of the, the chilliness of their childhood their upbringing and the know. mother yeah. yeah isn't she interesting right. isn't she fabulously Mama. interesting Mama. Jordan C. Robbins I'm telling you she's she's kind of we've been doing so much press fanfare and she's been kind of one of the press fanfare one of the unsung heroes, I think, of the show that it doesn't get enough uh, people talking about her. I think she's just, she's so fabulously eerie. And I mean, it's a hard, hard job to pull off. She had to be kind of warm yet robotic, you know, but with enough human 
to make you believe as an audience member that these children grew up with her and right. fully accepted her as a, as a mother, as a Thank nanny. You know, yeah. Yeah. That's sort of why and she I... just pitched no. it so well. You know, I, couldn't, I can't speak highly enough of her. Mm. I agree. The, the show, any one of the characters could have their own series. Yeah. There's just so... You, know, you could just, just oh, describe one character and go, oh, wow, I'd, I'd watch that. You know? And that's why I think a lot of the show is, is, is structured to be multiple stories that are loosely connected. Uh, which was kind of scary in a way because you, you don't know what's going on on the other stories until it right, all keep the comes unity. together. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, somehow, and don't ask me how, Steve Blackman was able to see all the method to the madness and, mm. and put it together and you watch it and it's just kind of like rolling off a log. It looks like uh, real natural, but you know, we'd shoot that big fight scene in the house. That took like three months to shoot. You know, you'd shoot a part and go away for a bunch of weeks and then shoot the rest, but then when you watch it, it you know, makes sense. kind of comes together. And yay dance sequences. Thank you so much, fellas. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Appreciate Thank it. you, my dear. What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. Escalator GIC can help you save for a bucket list trip. In the first year, earn 2% interest. In the second, 3%. In the third, 4%. Those escalating savings could be the difference between this trip and this trip. Visit a branch or meridiancu.ca today to get started. Meridian, saving for a better life while living your best life. That's wealth esteem. Terms and conditions apply. Passion is everything when it comes to hair, so trust your hair to an artist. Jason Kearns of Kearns & Co. is known across North America for making the hottest high fashion looks work for real people. Jason and his team of expert stylists bring together creativity, vision, and the very latest hair care systems, color, and products to create looks that have heads turning. Your hair is the most important fashion accessory you will ever own. Trust it to the experts. Start today. Visit KearnsandCo.com. This is 105.9 The Region. What she said. She's powerful, wonderful, honest and lovable. Now back to What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler. Well, as if you didn't know, the RRSP, the Registered Retirement Savings Plan Contribution Deadline is March 1st. And if you're like many other Canadians, you may be stressing out. <laughs> so joining us now is personal finance expert Barry Choi to explain why you don't need to panic. So I'm, I'm seeing ads everywhere right, right, at this time. You're you got bombarded it. <laughs> with them. Um, but you think it's a bit of an overreaction. Yeah, because the deadline is just refers to the previous tax year. So if you want to like lower your income with an RSP contribution, yes, you have to do it by March 1st. But that doesn't mean like, oh, for the rest of the year, you can't make any contributions. Uh, so like to me, it's one of those things where you should be doing it every month, right? And like you said, we get bombarded, but like why freak out, right? It's a good opportunity to think about your finances, but it's not like a hard deadline in my opinion. 
Uh, explain for people who may not know exactly yeah. how it works. Explain an RRSP. Yeah, an RRSPE is basically something that's available to the majority of Canadians who who work here. Basically, if you've worked the previous year and filed your taxes, you you earn RRSP room. And the advantage of this for most Canadians is the fact that it's basically a tax deferral system. You get a tax break when you make the contribution. So if you mm-hmm. contribute two thousand dollars, you lower your income tax by two thousand, mm-hmm. right? But you have to pay that tax when you retire. And for most people, when you retire, you'll be making less income. So in theory, you'll have a lower income and you'll pay less taxes. So that's the major benefit. And obviously, because it's saving for retirement, you want to have some money when you retire, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But you've also got to be careful not to overpay. That's right. So there's a few things, right? Like you, you, your RSP contribution room is based on 18% of your previous year and it carries over. But if you've got something like a pension, uh, mm-hmm. you have a pension adjustment. So it could technically lower your, the amount you have. Uh, but it's very clear whenever you fill out your taxes, it says right away, this is your maximum contribution room for the year and what you've carried over for the previous years. So as long as you don't go over that amount, uh, you're all good. And if in the case that you do, you have up to $2,000 where you can contribute without tax penalties. But any amount over that, you do end up paying taxes. So are Canadians saving enough for their RSPs? I think I know the answer to this. But. Yeah, well, it depends. But generally speaking, no. But there's some encouraging signs. You know, BMO just put out a report that says overall Canadians have contributed more over the years. Obviously, for older people uh, who are closer to retirement years, they've got more in their RSPs than, say, millennials. So to me, again, it's like if you're doing your, your contributions, you're on the right track, you kind of really need to start planning for your retirement. It's weird in your 20s because you really need to project how much money you'll na- need and make sure you're saving the appropriate amount. And who really knows that? So <laughs> well, does anybody well, save too much? Uh, you, you know, Maybe. there are, you know, I, guess, I guess, right? There's got to be someone who's There's got to be somebody out there. Right? How about TFSAs? Yeah. Yeah, yeah TFSAs are a great thing that were invented. I think it's been almost a decade now. And the difference between a TFSA is you don't get that tax break, but any money you earn inside, whether through investments, you know, yeah. you can invest anything inside your TFSA. No capital gains. Exactly. And so that's a nice way to complement uh, your RSP. That being said, if you're a younger person who's not making a huge income where you don't need that tax break, maybe it makes sense to invest in your TFSA first because, hey, an RSP is only good if you need a tax break. Okay. So I was, when I started the t- TFSA, I was mm. I was very confused, as I often am, <laughs> about, about things. But I didn't realize, um, it's like, okay, so I've opened up TFSA. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize then I had to do something. I had to decide what stocks yeah. or wherever it was going. It's not just putting money yeah. into a TFSA. The name is very deceiving because it's called a tax-free yeah. savings account. Some people think you just put money in. That's what I thought. Which you can do. But the real benefit is if you start investing in stocks, mutual funds, ETFs, uh, the higher-end products, not higher-end, but products that can earn you more capital gains in the long run as opposed to a high interest savings account. But that being said, if it's if you've got to save for something short term or an emergency fund, high interest savings account within a TFSA is a great place to park your money for the time being. So what's better, an RRSP or a Really, TFSA? really depends on your personal situation and your age, so many different factors. So you really got to do a little bit of research. Uh, but obviously, if, you're, if your RRSP is maxed out in your high tax bracket, use that. Uh, but like I said, if you're maxed out, then you use a TFSA. There's so many different uses. So I encourage people to you know read about it a little bit more and make, make an informed decision. Well, maybe they need to talk to an expert on it. Yeah, you know, there's experts available. One great place you can go to is like BMO has experts in branch, you know, financial advisors uh, mm-hmm. or for people who want to invest money, you can also do it online. They've got Smartfolio, which is basically a robo-advisor. You just put your money in, you answer some questions, and it automatically does it for you. And at the same time, if you want to do uh, self-investments after you've learned, you know, don't mm-hmm. do it right away. You know, don't go into Bitcoin or things <laughs> like that. Take the time to learn. Change. I bought weed. 
Hey, it could have been a good time. <laughs> I don't think so. It hasn't. I've, I've been losing. It hasn't quite got up. Yeah, there. yeah. But- you know, is, my strategy has always been uh, uh, seemingly mm-hmm. um, to buy high and sell low, oh. <laughs> which is the reverse of what I meant to do. Well, that's that's a very common mistake that a lot of people do. If you just look at December, uh, a lot of people like the markets went down and down. People mm-hmm. were panicking and they mm-hmm. sold, so they sold low, right? But then you look at right now, I don't know if you've been keeping up with the markets right now, everything's gone back up. We're at back to new record highs. So that's what I mean is like, you know, talk to your financial planner, whether in branch mm-hmm. or if you're doing self-directed uh, through Bank of Montreal, whoever you use, right? Know what your goals are and try to stick to that plan. And I get it, right? Sometimes you can be like, oh my God, it's, it's a time to sell. Things are going down. No, yeah. stick to that plan. That's why I think a financial advisor is better mm-hmm. for especially in RSP mm-hmm. investments or TFSA because they have the cooler yeah. heads and they've seen it go up and down especially, so many times. Yeah, hold your hand when through When you're it. first starting definitely have it at the beginning because like yeah. I made the same mistakes, but then once you become familiar and you get used to like okay, this is that what rhythm. happens. Right. Yeah, yeah, you know the ebb and flow is like okay, I get why these things happen and I don't need to panic, I don't need to sell. I'm thinking about my retirement which is 40, 30 years from now. So what happens today does not matter. Mm. Right. So start saving. Yeah. Start investing now. The earlier you begin, the magic of compound interest, right? Ex- exactly. And talk to your advisor or if, if you've got one, if not, look for one. Okay, always a pleasure to have you on, Barry. <laughs> and if you want to learn more about RSPs and TFSAs, you can check out Barry's blog, moneywehave.com, or message him on Twitter at Barry Choi. Thanks for being here. Anytime. This is 1059 The Region. Connect with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler at WhatSheSaidTalk.com. Joining us now is Rebecca Higgins. She is a mental health educator who's using short stories and mental health workshops to tackle loneliness. And she's just written her first book, which she's here to tell us all about. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. This is uh, such an interesting topic. I I noticed in the United Kingdom, they actually created a minister of loneliness in the government. Yeah, exactly. We need that here. So what's going on with 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 loneliness in this in this country so i think um i think loneliness has always been there i think our leaning towards technology has sort of increased our isolation rather than our connection in some cases. We're so fast-paced all the time. And I think in this society, too, we're very individual-focused. There's not the same emphasis there used to be in terms of family and connection and community. And so a lot of times, I think when people are suffering, they're actually, um, I don't always think it's the right thing to pathologize people and say they have this illness or that. Sometimes it's loneliness that's at the heart of it. And that's something we can do something about through our connection. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny that you say that because uh, we were talking, I think, not long ago, about um, we had a guest in talking about online dating and think, you know, people in their 20s, early 20s and late teens dating online and you're thinking, are they not meeting people? And so it occurs to you that that they are lonely. Yeah, absolutely. One of my stories in the book actually is called The Internet People, and it's about those hmm. kind of trials and trips in terms of internet dating. So, yeah. Is it also that there is a, a, now with social media, a divide between who you really are and who you portray yourself to be? I think so, absolutely. I think that there's a lot of pressure. I think we all fall into the comparison game, looking to see what other people are portraying without really understanding sometimes that that's only one piece of the puzzle. So The Color of Birds, that's the name of the book, it's a collection of short stories about friendship and loneliness and the awkward, fumbling ways that we try to love each other. Now, I bet you've been getting this question a lot. 
Is your mental health work related to your fiction writing? Well, for the most part, it isn't, with one notable exception, and that is that in both cases, in both areas of my work, I'm very interested in loneliness, as we've been talking about, Mm -hmm. and the strange things that people do to try to mitigate that. So I hope that people come away from both my workshops and my book feeling a little bit less alone. And what are the strange things Mm -hmm. that people do? Uh, In life or in the book? (laughs) (laughs) So in the book, my characters find themselves in some interesting situations. Uh, One person uh, steals books only to toss them in the pond. Uh, Somebody else finds themselves on a first date that turns into an AA meeting. Uh, Somebody takes their sensitive plant to the movies and other kinds of weird things Mm -hmm. like that. And in real life? In real life, I think we're all weirdos. And that's why I think I'm really drawn to people who kind of stick out and look different or even more interestingly pass as normal like me and then underneath are quite weird (laughs) (laughs) well many of your characters you say feel invisible Mm -hmm. and that comes up in your workshops a lot as well it does absolutely so people um, a lot of times I work with groups who may be um, working with customers and they find themselves in challenging conversations with those mm-hmm. customers. So, for example, I work with library staff, security guards, um, lawyers, nurses, all kinds of people who may find themselves with people who are angry sometimes. And my thing is that what's most often under anger is something more vulnerable, sadness or fear. And so sometimes we use anger to try to cover up that, the more vulnerable things underneath. Uh, so I hope in workshops I try to talk about reaching across and how to support somebody and walking mm-hmm. alongside them. Because we can't fix somebody else or, our pro- or their problems. The most we can do in this life is walk alongside them. So I try to find ways to do that. Now, you use humor to talk about your experience with depression, and uh, you have some experience with what you call the Depression Festival. <laughs> what is that? Uh, the I just need festival. to know the answer sure, to that question. Sure. Yeah, the Depression Festival. It's very easy to get tickets, but nobody has the energy to go. Uh, <laughs> ah, okay. ah, very good. Very good. Well, do you hope that other people find themselves or at least people that they can empathize with in, in your story? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I was a kid, my favorite book was Harriet the Spy, and mm-hmm. I really identified with Harriet. And I reread that book a little bit ago as an adult, and I still identified with her. I still felt like, ah, that's me. So if if I can reach anybody, if anybody can read my book and think, if not, that's me, which would be great, but at least, oh, I get those people. I can connect with those people. That's That's what I'm hoping for. Mm. Any more in the works? Yes. So I'm working on some more stories on the next collection, some more weirdos to look forward to. You found your niche here. I do. You have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so where can people get a copy of The Colors of Birds? So they it was published by Tightrope Books la- at the end of last year. So mm-hmm. people can buy it through Amazon. You can ask for it at your local library or bookstore, or you can contact me directly through RebeccaHiggins.org. And we are going to put that uh, link up on our social media sites uh, as well. Now, where can people learn more about your mental health workshops? So you can find out everything you need to know about that on mentalhealthworkshopstoronto.com. So what's the one thing that you really hope people take away from the books? Um, I think that I hope people take away the fact that we're all weirdos. Everybody <laughs> interesting is a weirdo mm-hmm. and, and that we can kind of mitigate that sense of loneliness that we share that's very mm-hmm. universal by sharing in these stories. That's what I hope. Excellent. Thank you very much for coming in and telling us about it. Thanks so much for having me. 
What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. Still being picked on for being picky? Perfect. Meridian's good-to-grow high-interest savings account was made for you. At Meridian, we say be picky. Order that half-calf, half-sweet, no-foam latte with whip. (sighs) Try on your whole closet until your outfit is outstanding. And accept nothing less than 3% interest for four months when you open your first good-to-grow high-interest savings account. Meridian, expecting more for your money. That's wealth esteem. Terms and conditions apply. This is 105.9 The Region. Now back to What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler. At some point in our lives, there is a high likelihood that each of us will provide care to someone we know. Family members are typically the first to step up to provide and manage this care. Joining us now is corporate executive turned caregiver, Sonia K. Singh, who has written a book called Lightning Strikes Twice, Mm -hmm. chronicling her journey. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. We all have a journey. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you, right, Kate? Yep. Mm -hmm. Uh, In Canada, there are more than 8 million caregivers and Mm -hmm. four. 4.4 million in Ontario. And they're part of the so-called sandwich generation Mm -hmm. attempting to balance work, life, providing care for an ailing parent. Tell us why you left your corporate career, you know, sort of single-handedly to become a caregiver. Well, I think, you know, as much as we talk about these 8 million people across the country that are providing care, most of us are unprepared to take on this role, really don't have access to these resources and tools. And when something hits you this significant, this hard in your life, for me, it was two parents who fell ill at the same time. I really felt that there was no choice but to go home. Um, Both my sisters who lived in the same city as my parents were taking on the burden of appointments, running errands, prescriptions, making food, and really taking care of my mom and dad. And yet here I was living this robust social life and just calling in once in a while to get their feedback on how they were doing. It wasn't enough. I needed to go back home and be a full-time caregiver. Well, the book does provide some insight into the darkest moments a caregiver can experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had some, you've had some. My mother is, yeah. is, is having a terrible time looking after her husband who has mm-hmm. dementia. So, and she, the doctors have told her she's more likely to die from sheer exhaustion than like, before he is. Right. And that's those are the statistics that are coming out now that the actual caregiver will become sick while they are providing mm-hmm. care to a loved one. And this is what happened to my mom. She was taking care of my dad, who was diagnosed with a rare form of Parkinson's, only affects 25,000 Americans. He's bedridden. And as she was taking care of him, a pot of lentils that she was making for lunch fell on her. Oh. She burned 44% <clears throat> of her body in third degree burns and nerve damage. And so, you know, she was the caregiver. And so she got into a place where she wasn't taking care of herself. And I think that's what happened to me. I was unprepared. These really dark moments that you'll read in my book are places of anxiety, panicking, anger. I'm sad that this happened to my mom and dad and really not understanding it. Um, Do we ever understand it, though? 
You know, I think that there are phases of the journey as a caregiver. So for me in particular, I went through a phase of trying to figure out why their disease or illness couldn't be cured. And then in the middle of the journey, I was really focusing on taking care of them. And unfortunately, towards the end of the journey, as my mom passed away, I really was able to take a step back and understand what had happened. And maybe I don't fully understand why it's happened, but I do understand what happened. So how did it impact your 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 life, your, your relationships? You gave up a paycheck, mm-hmm. you gave up your social life, as right. you said. You know, I, I look back and at the time I really didn't know what was going on. I was sort of spiraling out of control. I went from living in Toronto to moving back to my hometown in the room that I grew up in as a teenager. And I didn't have access to everything that I did before, which meant my friends, my support system, that paycheck. Any money that I did have was now being spent secretly on trying to find a cure for my parents. I would buy supplements. I would hire coaches. I would get third and fourth opinions. So my cash flow was being depleted very quickly. Um, A lot of friends did not know what was happening because I thought that if I contained everything, then my parents, their sickness wouldn't spread. So you you sort of get into this weird mental state that you're going to fix them. So there's no point in telling your friends what's happening. And I won't be gone for that long is what I thought. Um, And I was in a relationship. And you know, that did not last very long because I couldn't be a girlfriend. I didn't know how to be a partner because I was too busy loving my mom and dad, not knowing how much time I had had with them or would have with them. I wanted to exhaust all that love for them. Did you ever feel or do you ever feel resentment? Oh, yes, I do. Because... You know, I didn't hesitate answering that question because I do. I'm, I'm, you know, my mom was 61 and she had an entire life ahead of her still. She'll, she will never get to see me get married or have a child. And I'm angry about that. And I still have not figured out why they both got sick at the same time. And I have a father who has a very progressive disease, which unfortunately he's not going to live long either. And that's orphaned me. That will orphan me. So what happens to me now? Um, and why Why did this happen? You know, I think that's my resentment. And I, I don't fully understand. I know that people age. I know that there are ailments and there's diseases. I don't understand why it happened at that point to them. Do you have, you, you said you, you took on this, I'm going to call it a burden. It may, you may not view it as a burden mm-hmm. at, at the time. Because your siblings, did they have children and family members so that's why you felt that it would impact you less than the others yes and also because they had done a lot of the work before I was traveling for work and my middle sister had a baby that was a year old you know my little nephew and my youngest sister was engaged and I'm single you know I'm not married so I think that there was just an assumption that it was easier for me to go home but now that I look back there was this weird pull that was really pushing me to head back to Guelph. And I think that maybe in some sort of weird way, I knew that I had a limited amount of time with my mom and with my dad. If you had sort of one takeaway piece Mm -hmm. of advice to give people going into this, Mm -hmm. or maybe just an attitude... 
You know, um, I think that's part of my book is to really have understanding as a caregiver, but also as someone who has a caregiver in their life. And you may not know how to speak to them about it. I think that there are moments that were obviously going to be very dark as a caregiver. And the best thing that you can do is really talk it out with the people that are in your life so they understand what's going on. But someone who has a caregiver in their life and uh, such as a friend and they do not know how to approach that Mm -hmm. subject. You know, I say show more than talk more. Um, We often are in this really busy society of just sending a text and saying, how are you doing or how is the loved one doing? Show up for coffee. You know, bring them lunch. Bring them that lasagna they haven't had time to cook. Um, Give them an hour to themselves because I literally had no self-care during this process. And I know speaking to other caregivers, it's very often that you feel a lot of guilt even if you do take out time for yourself. Well, you've been up, I mean, she's been up all night and four o'clock in the morning Mm -hmm. running over there and you know it's really caregiving for two people yeah and you don't you don't sleep but now the interesting thing is my stepfather is now in a in a in a lin home in a care home Mm -hmm. it hasn't lessened the burden on my mother because she still has to go down there and get his laundry every day and clean and visit him and make sure he's being looked after make sure he's being taken to activities make sure he isn't being over medicated Mm -hmm. i mean there's lots i thought it would be easier No. And you have to have that communication with the people that are taking care of him as well, Mm -hmm. right? So it's not just him. It's the people that are taking care of him. And I often get asked why we didn't just hire somebody. You know, we... $600 a day? Exactly. But it's not even that. It's you still have to make, at the end of the day, the big decisions. And you have to monitor them. You're Mm -hmm. not going to leave somebody with your parents Mm -hmm. uh, that you've hired because they have no state, they have no skin in the game. And we did. And actually, you know, we did. And somebody stole my dad's wallet. You know, they took the money, all of his government cards out of his wallet. My dad fell almost four different times in the care of somebody that's supposed to be taking care of my dad. I watched somebody pull my dad up from his fall with the back of his pants. And that was just so disheartening for me to see that. And I thought, I'm the daughter. You know, all these years, my parents have provided us with everything we ever wanted. I can go back to work whenever I want. So... Who should read this book? A caregiver should read this book. I think anyone that's going through the journey of being a caregiver um, and also the friend of a caregiver, you know, a family member who may not know exactly how to be there for somebody Mm -hmm. um, will have a better understanding of what it's like to be there for someone. And how can people get the book? You can log on to um, sonyabooks.ca. You can also go to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Chapters Indigo. Um, It's all online. Was it very cathartic? I it was and I'm having a hard time reading it now because it reminds me of some of those experiences that I had with my mom and dad which I'm very grateful for because there are memories that only I have right so I can I can envision the couch conversation we had together and my sisters didn't do that right well we are going to also put up links on our social media sites for you Sonia Casing thank you very much for joining us today thank you so much It is your favorite girl. That's right. It's the Ali Mars, the one and the only. Everyone else just ain't me. I am the host of Welcome to Mars, a lifestyle podcast where nothing is off the table. I have come a long way from sex and dating and have transformed the new vibe to all things lifestyle. We still talk sex, but I'm more interested in the journey, where people have come from, how they made it, and where they're going. Subscribe or follow to a brand new look and a brand new era. 
Welcome to Mars. Subscribe or follow on Apple, Spotify, Google, or at theallymars.com. Because even with the new look, I'm still that same bitch you love to hate. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many roads that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.